0: hey welcome to the backyard professor live show we are really excited for tonight we have a fundamentally unique situation going on with american history and how it jives with early mormon history so let's get this show on the road Holy cats, Batman, here we are. Hey, before we get started, I want to let you know I have Doug Vincent in the studio with me, our beloved Doug from chat, but I do have a couple of quick announcements I want to make real quick, and then we are going to share some doggone cool news and information with you tonight. I got to get my banners going here. I just need to let you guys know that... Which one is it? Yes, this one. I'm going to pop this up real quick. Uh, I have been adding other videos. Uh, This is my chess channel. And I am also spilling over on this channel with uh, BYP responds that are not going to be the same as on the Mormon discussion uh, because I can't just copy the video back and forth. Uh, YouTube won't let me because I do get paid from this site and my own. So I can respond to the same issue, but I have to do a separate completely new video. Um, I am putting up some of my interviews with the scholars. I have a new Kobe Townsend interview on there and so on and so forth. And if you like chess, come on over. I'm doing chess also. So that will be some extra material. I will probably end up putting my uh, New Testament commentary videos on there and here as well. So there's the link. Go ahead and subscribe, hit the notification button, and then that way you get the best of both worlds. And I also want to let you know also that I have an enormous amount of new videos on my podcast where you get to listen instead of watch the video if you're commuting back and forth to work if you're working out in the yard shoveling snow whatever it is you're doing if you're sitting home wanting to relax and just listen to something interesting here are all of your listening uh podcasts some of those are two and a half hours long some of them are 10 minutes So, I just have a brand new podcast up responding to Elder David A. Bednar as well. So, I'm just letting you know, uh, I'm diversifying somewhat. There might be a little repeat information, but it's all for your total enjoyment. So... Come on over now. Can we get to the fun yet, Doug? How are you, my friend? Good,
1: good. <laughs> Thanks you for might- having me
0: on. <laughs> oh, my good pleasure. Thank you for coming on. We've been uh, we've been having the ball uh, putting yeah. this putting this thing together. Let me let me explain my end of things, and then I'll yeah. let you tell tell the audience how you kind of kept niggling me and saying okay hey look what i found look what i found and i got more and more and more genuinely excited and amazed so i'm sitting there It's it's been just a couple of weeks ago and doug calls me on the phone and he said hey uh have you ever thought about the erie canal uh which one did you listen to doug the, um, it Enoch. was, it was about the book of Enoch. That's right. Yeah. Oh, it was with Colby. It was, it was with Colby yeah. Townsend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and he has some enormous wonderful updated information on the availability of Enoch to Joseph Smith. So Doug calls me on the phone and says, Hey dude, how you doing? And, uh, Hey, have you ever thought about the Erie canal? And I go, no. <laughs> and he goes, well, uh, I've heard a couple things about it. Uh, there's just a couple of items that intrigue me. And I looked into this and, and you told me a couple of things. I said, oh, yeah, man, yeah, that's interesting. A couple days later, Doug's calling me back. And he's saying, Carrie, you've <laughs> got to listen to this video. You've got to watch this video on the e- internet. This is huge, and so I go. Yeah, oh, okay, Doug, I will. I will. Uh, Doug's always guided me right. So within the next day or two, I listened to this video, and my jaw dropped. Yeah. <laughs> I go wait a minute. What is it about this eerie canal here? Well, through the last two weeks, I'm going to try hard not to exaggerate this. In the last two weeks, sincerely. I have learned more about the seriously high probability of Joseph Smith's environment truly getting him involved in everything to do with Mormonism than I ever learned in 45 years of Mormonism. I am totally stunned and very excited for tonight because with Doug, we get to show some really cool American genius history and how it dovetails perfect with Joseph Absolutely. Smith.
1: Yeah. 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 It was one of those things where I, I saw that episode with Colby and you're talking about the, the availability of the book of Enoch and just in the back of my mind, it's like, I remember something about a library, Barge on the Erie Canal or something like that. So I started researching it, and every time I <laughs> looked up another little phrase, I got more and more and more information, and it was just like, "Whoa, this is huge!" I got to share this with Carrie. So, yeah. So we, for two weeks, we've been going back and forth and and sharing stuff and making slides and documents, and and he invited me to come on. So here I am.
0: I think it'd be fun if we could ever pull this off. And I'm sincerely serious. I'm going to try. Uh, Wouldn't it be a ball to somehow set up a situation where several of us from chat, as well as you and I, can all go meet over there in New York and go down the Erie Canal together? Yeah,
2: yeah. Would that not be
0: interesting? We can pick up Dan Vogel on the way. He's right (laughs) on the way. And uh, we could have him give us lectures on early Mormon history and all. I mean, that would be so fun. 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 (laughs) We could take Radio Free Mormon with us to keep us entertained. Hey, it looks like Radio Free Mormon's here. Welcome, my dear friend. Tom Miller, Tim Rathbone, fine business operator. Great to see you again, my friend. Hey, I left you a message on your phone. Uh, You know, call me back after the show. I didn't mean to ignore you. And uh Dan Vogel and who else is here? Mosia, good to see you, Tom Miller, Mosiah, Gail Capson. Always good to see you, Nikki McBee, John Rossbarsky, Yeah, baby, Newton Lemnos. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, he's saying you look like Santa Claus. You want to do the <laughs> ho ho ho. No, no,
1: no. The kids say that to me all the time. <laughs> I have to, I have to like duck and cover at Christmas time, you know, hey, <laughs> go out of the house. <laughs> hey, listen, my guests, I go big. <laughs> yeah. I've got Santa Claus. The now. big man himself right here. <laughs> no, That's it's actually carry the, the big man uh, on campus right here is baby Yoda.
0: There you go. Look at that. Right yeah, over this is, his
1: shoulder. Now, since I'm not in the chat tonight. This is a warning. Anybody in the chat that that, that gets out of line, <laughs> Baby Yoda's gonna force choke you, <laughs> Mark. So everybody behave, yeah, baby. How to do it? Oh, hey, you
0: do that again, yeah, baby. <laughs> there you go, a double whammy for you, Mark. We are you. born. There you go. So, okay, hey, uh, let, let's get on this. We sure. th- this is just genuinely fascinating to me personally. And I know you as the audience are going to come away tonight saying stuff like, I didn't know that, or, Oh, now that makes sense. Why Joseph Smith did this or that, or just that, this is just so fun. So anyway, uh, Doug has, Put together Now, Doug approached this in a way a little bit different than I did. We will be getting to the missing book of Enoch, I so promise, because that's a prominent part of this. But Doug has helped me see that there is more of a prominent part of this than just that missing wonderful scripture. So he's got a presentation of the history of the geology and geography that helped me make sense of, of the Mormon movement, even, believe it or not. So uh, I'm going to turn it over to Doug for a bit. Let me, you ready for me to turn you on, Chief? Uh, Let's see. Yeah, go for it. Hey, Nikki McBee, good to see you. Oh, Moksha Raver. Love you, dude. You're awesome. Dan Vogel, I love you, too. I love all of you guys, man. You're awesome. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Doug's going to give us some, some really spectacular information here. All right. Can you see my slide? Yes. Can everybody see a slide? Yeah, it shows here. Okay, cool. good. So they're seeing what
1: I'm seeing. So, all right. So, uh, let me just start out. This is the only way I knew to do this really quickly. And um, I guess I'm a little old fashioned <laughs> uh, nah, PowerPoint have to, slides, but whatever. Okay. So, uh, what I want to do is, uh, I want to start all the way back in the ice age all right we need to go well, back hold on, back on back. hold
0: on ryan larson and to sorry to interrupt you i gotta welcome my two oh, other no, yes. really yeah so Feel welcome free. thank you for showing up you're gonna love this show oh paula edens yes thank you for showing okay okay i gotta quit doing that okay you're up chief
1: <laughs> all <laughs> right on. so here we go so about two and a half million years ago um the ice ages started and these huge ice sheets started covering uh canada and and parts of uh, the united states um now this is not just a little bit of ice we're talking over two miles thick ice and it mainly affected canada but it did push down into the lower 48 a little bit and it stopped about where new york city is by the way uh it went all the way across uh to um uh, to the Puget Sound over in Washington, where RFM is is uh, from. So anyway, the, these ice sheets, these, they kind of came down and receded multiple times over the period of, of these millions of years. And the last ice age uh, started ending about 18,000 years ago. And when it did, it had stopped right where New York City is right now. And when it receded... I'm going to go over these slides just a little bit here. When it receded, it left us a present, okay? And that present is called Long Island. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so as you can see down here, uh, there's a little. Can you see my mouse moving down here? Yeah, you're you're okay. you're hanging around that colored box. Can you enlarge that a little bit? Well, the colored box is right here. That's what's up here above it. Okay. Oh, okay. So, so this is, yeah. So this is log Island. All right. Okay. The purple stuff that you're seeing here, that is called a moraine, a glacial moraine. And and that is formed when the ice starts to melt all of the rocks and dirt and everything else that have accumulated in that glacier start dropping out as it melts. And it, and it leaves these humongous, these are hundreds of feet tall, uh, you see, there's two oh, wow. of them here on, on Long Island. It leaves these giant mounds, okay, uh, and it also uh, the finer material um, gets washed out, and it creates floodplains and all this yellow stuff underneath the rest of Long Island. Those are all floodplains. So you have two moraines and these floodplains where all this stuff basically precipitated out. Uh, then down here in the in this. Red box, that's what this is up here. That, uh, in the upper part here, it's like a zoom in. So, you see Manhattan here, you see yeah. Brooklyn, and here's that purple kind of glacial moraine coming across. Um, right here where it says the narrows, um, that was another little gift. Um, uh, this was kind of formed a natural dam as things melted. This huge lake filled up behind it, and there was a cataclysmic flood where the The water broke through this, this narrows, and it carved out this beautiful channel here, Uh, that's nice and deep. Uh, The, the glacier also uh, scraped all of the soil off of Manhattan, uh, all the way down to bedrock, and that's why you can actually build skyscrapers in Manhattan, is because it's all bedrock, so it'll support those big buildings.
0: Oh, I've always wondered that. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. No. Wondering, so you don't see red, as...
1: all those tons of steel is going to sink? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's all, all on solid rock right here. Now, you get over here in uh, Long Island and you don't have that. It's all this gravelly stuff in those, those floodplains. Yeah. yeah. So you can't do it there. Okay. Now, <clears throat> let me go back down here to the bottom. You see this little blue uh, area coming up here. This is the Hudson River Valley. The uh, the ice sheets and the glaciers also carved out the Hudson River Valley, and the Hudson River Valley is going to be really important for this story. Uh, it's, it carved it so deep that it's actually tidal, so uh, you know the ocean basically backs up into the river. Uh, sometimes they even find sharks and stuff in the river, so it's kind of interesting. Um, <clears throat> One final thing that the uh, the ice sheets left uh, in New York for our story uh, is another thing called a drumlin. So a dr- what a drumlin is, is uh, if you think of, if you've ever seen somebody plowing the ground, when the plow goes through the ground, the dirt kind of peels away on each side of it, you know, and that's what makes sure your, your furrows, okay? Uh, and so when these ice sheets would come down, that you know, it wasn't like a, solid wall it would be like fingers of ice coming down and they would just basically plow the ground and in upstate new york uh, they have these long loaf shaped uh hills and they're called a drumlin and the the, uh, hill camora is a drumlin okay oh yeah so anyway the uh the ice sheets finally stopped coming down and then Uh, We got one final gift, Uh, and that final gift was dirt. So what happened is to poor old Canada, all these these, uh, ice sheets coming and going, and two miles thick, that kind of thing, it just literally plowed up all the ground in Canada and mushed it around all the topsoil. It ground rock down into fine powder, and it created kind of a new substance. And when it melted away there were huge piles of this left. And where did those piles go? Well, the wind blew them all down here. (laughs) And you can see on this little map over here. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, this is called Loess. Okay. That's the name of the dirt called Loess. And the wind blew all the Loess from Canada down into the United States. And in some places like in this dark area, 15 feet deep. Oh, and wow. This, and Loess is the richest soil on the earth. So we got this amazing gift. and You can see it goes from Ohio and it covers covers all the Midwest, right?
0: I hope the Canadians don't want that
1: back. I'm not going to offer to give any back, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I might send them a little bitty vial of it about that big, okay? Okay. All right, so That's a so lot now, of dirt,
0: though. Yeah, something yeah. only glaciers could give us. Fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, so all this is important to know, though, folks, uh, to get to the juicy stuff that we're going to get to in a little bit. All right, so let's go to the next slide. Yep. All right, so here we are, modern day, or or let's just say we're back in the 1800s. Um, here's the eastern United States. Uh, one of the problems back when this country was founded is that this this Appalachian chain, the brown stuff here on, the, on this left-hand map, acted as a giant wall. So people who wanted to get from the East Coast over more into the middle of the country uh, had a tough time. There were literally only five places where you could go from the East Coast into the interior of the United States. And each one of those would take two to three weeks by oxen, okay? Two to three weeks. There's only one up here in this red, and I've got an, uh, kind of a zoomed in map of of New York over here.
3: Mm-hmm. There's only
1: one place where there was a cut through the mountains from east to west, and that's up here in New York, in this little red square here. And if we come down here to New York, this bigger map of New York, you can see, where that green strip is right there. This is the Mohawk river and it cuts through the mountains. That's the only place. It was still a two to three week journey to go from here over to the great lakes. Okay. The other thing is that we have the Hudson river, see the Hudson river coming down here and what's down (laughs) at the bottom. Ta-da, long Island and New York and Manhattan and all that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the, the glaciers had carved out the Hudson River Valley. They had created Long Island. They had created this amazing harbor system, you know, that was just perfect for harbors and everything. And, and, um, and then there's this convenient little pass-through to the west, although it wasn't that convenient yet. Okay, we'll get to how it became convenient. No. All right, so uh, what you're seeing now, this is, Uh, a traffic jam in the early 1800s, okay? (laughs) And you notice that every vehicle in this picture is being pulled by something that poops.
0: (laughs) Oh, good point.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, So let's talk about the state of the roads the state of the roads at this period of time, well, basically, there were no what we would consider roads. They were all dirt trails. The only place where there is even a semblance of a road were in the big cities like Boston or New York where they had some. And
0: I. Oh, you froze up, Doug. You might be sitting too. Oh,
1: here's what happened to those roads when it rained.
0: Okay, they hold named- on. You froze up for about 10 to 15 seconds there. No, don't don't sit do so close to your mic. Okay. Okay, co- Okay. repeat what you just said two okay. minutes ago. So, <laughs> so the only
1: co- the only paved streets were paved with cobblestones, and those were in like Boston or New York or Philadelphia, that kind of thing, and only a few of those streets. Almost every street, all the other streets in the United States, were just dirt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it when it rained, it would turn into a cra- uh, quagmire of mud, and made traveling oh. almost impossible. Uh, plus, it was miserable for the people riding in these, uh, you know, wagons or carriages or even a horseback. Yeah, mud splattering you. everywhere, manure splattering everywhere. Oh. When it was dry, you imagine uh, it was rock me? hard. There were ruts and bumps. Uh, none of these things had much of a suspension system in them, so the, the, the writing was just horrible, and, um, and it was dusty, just dust everywhere. So traveling was kind of a nightmare back then. So um, what happened is the idea for the Erie Canal uh, came about from a guy named uh, Jesse Hawley, and he was a flour merchant, like not flowers as in pretty flowers, but as as in make bread flour. And he lived in New York, and he literally went broke trying to uh, raise his wheat, grind it, and send it to the East Coast for export or for sale. Um, the the expense of giving getting it over the Appalachian Mountains was so much. That he just couldn't make any money, and he wound up going to debtor's prison. Which back then, if you went into debt and you couldn't pay your bills, so they threw you in prison, and they allowed you to work it off while you're in prison. While mm-hmm. he's in prison, uh, while he was in prison, he uh, started writing some letters that talked about an idea to, uh, you know, have a canal go across that nice little Mohawk River Valley, and that that would solve the problem of the transportation. And that got picked up by the newspapers and by politicians. And uh, after some bantering about in which uh, the mayor of New York, who loved the idea, went to uh, Thomas Jefferson, the president, and uh, uh, presented him with the idea. And Thomas Jefferson said that it was insane. So no federal money. But eventually that same politician... um, uh, his name was, uh, let's see, what was that guy's name? Uh, hang on, let me look, refer to my stuff. Oh, Clinton. Yes, Clinton. Clinton, yeah. DeWitt Clinton. De- DeWitt Clinton. DeWitt. Uh, he eventually became uh, a senator, a New York state senator. And while he was senator, he was able to get them to pass an act to fund this uh, canal project. Uh, and he got $7 million, which is just a huge amount of money back then.
3: Uh, everybody thought he was
1: insane uh his critics called it uh uh, clinton's big ditch okay uh and then they had kind of another problem uh the other problem they had was that they did not have any experienced civil engineers in the united states there had never been a civil engineering project in the united states so you know what are they going to do so they got to believe it or not two judges who worked on a lot of land surveying cases and a math teacher. And these are the guys that planned out and devised a way to build the Erie canal. Okay. Uh, and they, they wound up sending a a kind of an understudy guy to Europe to study how the Europeans had done their canals. And he came back with some information. Uh, And also another really cool little piece of information that we'll give you later about locks. Okay. So, uh, Next slide here. So um, they mapped out the path of the Erie Canal and um, this is where they were gonna go, through that pass and then over to Lake Erie here. And and right here at the end is where Buffalo is. That's where Buffalo, New York is. Uh, All these little lines are called locks. Those are uh, like gates that will open and close on each end you can let the water come in and fill it up and it'll lift your boat up to a higher level and then you can go across and that's how they climbed this uh, down here at the bottom. You see, see the, the upper elevation here is Lake Erie and it steps down all the way 586 feet down to Albany. Oh, the uh, wow. Hudson river. So they had to drop the, or lift the the boats uh that height and over a distance of uh 363 miles. So
0: quite an that, engineering feat.
1: Quite an engineering feat. No, nope. everybody thought they were crazy, but yeah. there they were. They're were going for it.
0: What's that little black box there, Doug?
1: The black box Rectal. is Almyra, New York, right? Oh, here. oh, okay. So that shows yeah. the height. palmyra oh how cool that's the elevation palmyra there were two locks at palmyra you could drop about 15 feet per lock and there was a 20 foot drop at palmyra so it took two uh two two locks okay yeah
0: i heard the canal was only i i say only (laughs) glad i didn't have to hand dig it but uh it was uh like 40 feet wide and only four feet deep
1: yeah yeah, yes. it was surprisingly shallow, surprisingly shallow. Yeah. So uh, they started building uh, on July 4th, 1817. They started at Rome, New York, and they went both directions. Rome, New York is, you know, somewhere in the middle here, I guess. And they went both directions. Okay. So it took till 1825 to complete it from Albany all the way to Buffalo. But um, they reached Palmyra in 1822. 1817, by the way, is the same year that Joseph Smith's family moved to Palmyra.
0: Yeah I was gonna say, yeah,
1: that's that's yeah. significant yep, yep. yep the, the last section here uh, where Buffalo is uh, that took the longest, that took three years. And the reason for that is because there's there's a giant cliff It's called the Niagara Escarpment. And it was eighty feet high, and they had to uh, cut through solid rock to get to step the the canal down all the way down that escarpment uh, to Lake Erie. Okay, so that was uh, took took the longest. But um, in eighteen twenty five, they opened it up for business, and travisimo things changed. All right, that's my slideshow.
0: That that is spectacular. Yeah, I guess the uh, those locks at the end at Buffalo, uh, they had like eight or nine of them, didn't they?
1: Yeah, they had they had a number of them in in Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. Because it had to go down so many uh, yeah. so much, and they yeah. had to cut through solid rock, and and also they had to they had to get water to the canal. I mean, they are digging through solid rock. Well, there's no water, so they also right. had to cut. A waterway so that there's water in all that rock, basically, you know, so they could do their up, flooring yeah. and and raising. So, yeah. So, so all of a sudden, you have this new canal, and it's the first major, uh, was the first public works project, literally, in the United States. Yeah. Other than other than was, uh, bridges here and there, yeah. you know, Nobody had done anything. No, Civil engineering wise,
0: amateurs, States. yeah, yeah, and it was I the longest say,
1: canal in the world.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. and it became one of the great wonders of the entire United States.
1: Absolutely, it just yeah.
0: blew everybody away. I wanted to say hi to Debbie Joe also hi Debbie well, Joe. hi Debbie. Thank you, glad you came. All my Give friends, up. hi. <laughs> yeah, all my friends, woohoo! So, so what uh, what we've done here now? What we want to do? We want to. I I've I've never learned so much about this part of American history as this last two weeks. I have been watching video after video after video. I have been reading online scholar material on the Erie Canal, et cetera, and I we have found some really cool clips, and what we're going to do is we're going to show you a clip, and then Doug and I are going to talk about it a little bit, because we might overlap a little bit and all, but this is just so overwhelmingly spectacular when we finally arrive at the real broadened significance, and we will see that the, and this is not our goal and yet, in a way, it dovetails in. What we want is just just give us the information and the history, please. The church wants to narrow it down and give us something faith promoting. I get that. Doug gets that. Okay, all well and good, but they leave too much out. <laughs> and let, let, let's go to this first slide, shall we, Doug? We'll see. So let's take a look here.
2: It's many miles to Buffalo. Oh,
4: that low bridge. A trip that could have taken six weeks before the canal now took less than one week and cost one-tenth of an overland trip. So as soon as it opened, the canal was overwhelmed with traffic and it paid for itself with tolls in just 10 years. So, Doug,
0: that's pretty fast to pay it off that indicates to me that they began using it right now and yeah. they used it yeah. night and day you were telling me right they didn't stop oh,
1: yeah. It in the night. yeah see that was one of the that was one of the advantages so now so imagine what i talked about earlier about transportation okay yeah oxen and all this other stuff
0: mud and mud
1: yeah. nasty stuff okay, taking weeks to get over the mountains. Now you could just do it in a week or, 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 or it, depending on where you're going, it could just be a few days, but you can get yeah. over those mountains very easily. The other thing is that the, the, uh, canal operated day and night. Whereas yeah. if you're traveling by with animals, you had to stop and water them and feed them and blah, 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 you know, and you had to camp for the night. So this was uh, an all day, all night kind of thing. So that sped things up, uh, also, you're you're floating, you know, there's no bumpy roads, there's no dust. Oh, goodness. Yeah, it's just smooth. So you're people- not on the ocean, there's, there's no wave. waves, there's no waves, it's just smooth. The whole thing is just smooth. Okay. So all of a sudden you have this dream method of transportation compared to the other types of transportation they had at the time, you know. This was like a dream come true. It was it was two-way. You could do both. Yeah. Do go up and down. People could be coming up and down at the same time. Okay, so you didn't have to wait for everybody to come at, down and then go up. You just did it, you know. Um, and uh, the most important thing was that uh, that little clip about the cost. The cost yeah.
0: one tenth.
1: Did that clip say One-tenth. that? Well, let me, Let me give you an idea. Let's Let's go back to that the the ox. Pulled cart scenario that they had before. Right. Okay. That team of oxen could pull about 2,200 pounds in a wagon. Okay. So one team of oxen, 22, a little over a ton. Okay. One horse on the Erie Canal could pull a barge with 60,000 pounds on it. Oh, come on. Yeah. Sixty thousand pounds. 60,000 pounds. Yeah, sixty thousand pounds. So thirty times as much as that ox cart, and you wow. do it with just one horse. Okay, and what they did so along the along the Erie Canal, and there's actually a few of these that are still there. You know, kind of, you know, they're all shot basically, but um, along the canal, they're, they're really smart the way they did this. So along the, you know, you have the canal. And then along the canal, right beside it is a trail, okay. And that's mm-hmm. where the animals would walk, and they'd be tied up to the barge, and they would be pulling the barge, okay. But every fifteen miles, they had a stable and you know barns and whatever, so they would change out the horse so they keep oh. the horse fresh or the mule or whatever animal they were using. There you right? go. Yeah. yeah. So they and then they, they would just keep on going. Okay. So it was a beautiful little system they had worked out. And all of a sudden, you know, the cost of shipping, the time and the the actual cost just plummeted. Cost cost was so much. That's incredible.
0: That
4: is incredible. Yeah. All right. Let's go to this next clip. 10 years. Over 100 years old. John McKee operates the locks in Lockport, New York.
5: Sometimes there was a day or two wait just to get through the locks. Boats would be packed up on both sides of the the banks right here. And, of course, while they were lined up waiting to go through, they would spend their time and money in town here and that added to the population here in Lockport.
4: Population grew in towns all along the canal. Rochester, New York, York Mayor Lovely Warren traces the beginnings of her city to the...
0: Yeah, I cut that off on purpose because yeah. what, what what really uh, caught my eye, and th- this whole video is well done, uh, what really caught my eye. <laughs> oh, and the name of that video is 200 Years on the Erie Canal. Sorry, I was going to say that. But fun little video. It's a it's a it's uh, one of those documentary specials. It's only like 17 minutes. Wonderful to watch. But uh, what caught my attention here was, Again, you had mentioned the two- way traffic, but that at some time the traffic was so heavy that it sometimes took two days for them to get through that lock. What are you gonna do for that time? Yeah, go to the city. Yeah. So this kind of was a huge boom for the city.
1: yeah well let me let me talk a little bit about cities, okay, because I think no, it's no, a- you
0: don't freeze. You're oh, too close. Okay. To, yeah, there you go. Okay.
1: I know. So, I do. I do that. I have to too. lean
0: in. <laughs> I, I had wonderful friends who told me, "Okay, BYP, you're getting the hang of this electronics. Now, will you scoot your ugly face back?" So the- <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You don't want to
1: see out my nose, do you? Okay.
0: I don't um, care. I'm just, 62 so, now. It doesn't matter.
1: So, so just a just a couple of thing about cities and things that uh, just enrich this little scenario. Um, cities. Um, at the time, in 1817, when um, Joseph Smith's family moved to Palmyra, Palmyra, New York, had 2,200 people in it, okay? So it was not... So you know, it wasn't it, 2,200 people? 2,200 people. It was not like a super fly-spec town. It was a respectable... For that period of time, that was... Let's compare that at the same time in Chicago... Chicago had less than 100 people in it.
0: Okay. What?
1: Yeah. So what? Get, no. Okay, yeah. wait, wait. Chicago. Chicago. So it hadn't even developed yet, apparently. No, it wasn't even a town. It was just a spot on a map with oh, less wow. than 100 people. Yeah. So the, uh, it's hard for us to think about it. But, I mean, this really was a frontier, folks. Um, the the um, uh, Carrie, could you put me back on? I want to share that that slide of the United States again here. So, Absolutely. Okay. So, <clears throat> so the, this area, Michigan, you can't see Wisconsin, it's over here. Uh, Indiana, Illinois, and Ohio. At, that, at Joseph Smith's time, that was called the Northwest Territory. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, the, North, the Northwest Territory. Uh, When Joseph Smith moved to Palmyra, New York, in the entire Northwest Territory, all of those states, what we now call states, all of that, there were less than 45,000 people in that entire area. That's how sparsely populated it was. Um, When Joseph Smith moved to Palmyra, New York, Florida still belonged to Spain. So did the Western United States. It belonged oh, to Spain. Right. Uh, the Midwest, you know, Missouri, Nebraska, all that, Kansas, that was part of the Louisiana Purchase, which had just been made maybe, you know, 15 years earlier. So right. that was all territory, un unorganized, oops, sorry, unorganized right. land, et cetera. So this, I mean, this was really the frontier. It really was. Um, yeah, yeah, no kidding, yeah. right? Yeah. So for Palmyra, for Palmyra to have two thousand people in it was a a, a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's yeah. fascinating. Oh, uh, I love that map you had. That that's awesome.
0: That's yeah. Fun.
3: Okay, back we are.
4: So, okay. what's next? Let's, let's go to the next slide. But the canal also accelerated the western expansion of the nation. People and commerce were able to reach and develop what would become the American Midwest, a region that was isolated and landlocked, was now connected via the canal and the Hudson River down to New York City and the world.
0: Now now, This This was really fun for me to, to hear and watch and learn about because... I have honest. This shows you how much I paid attention to American history in school. Not that they tried to teach it much to me, because I was in the ancient stuff. But um, I, I sometimes have wondered through the years why why did New York become so dad blame big? You know, now it's starting to make sense yeah. because New York, once they finished that Erie Canal, it connected not only to the UK, but to all the rest of the... That's why all those big towns got raised on the Great Lakes. I I know there's probably people here say, yeah, no dub, backyard professor. You're about as thick as a brick. Well, I am, but that's what made this history
1: so delicious to learn. Talk about fun. See, this is actually the first gold rush in America, right here. Now, it wasn't A rush for gold, gold. It was a rush for black gold. Remember when I talked about the lowest and all that super rich soil? Yeah. That is what people were after. That's what they wanted. You cannot grow a nation with people just subsistence farming and feeding their own families. You know, who's going to feed all the people in the cities and stuff? You know, you want a hugely uh, successful and thriving agricultural industry in your country so that you can feed everybody, you can export it, blah, 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 you know? And you had this, this sweet spot in, in that Northwest territory there that we talked about with this incredibly rich soil. And it was just sitting there ready for people to come take it. And as soon as that corridor opened up, it was it was kaboom. It was like the floodgates open. You talked about the uh, the canal. Um, mm. The city of Palmyra made $80,000 in tolls the first year the canal was open. The city of Palmyra. Wow. <laughs> this little town, 80 grand. That was huge back then. Yeah, that was, yeah. Back
0: then, that was yeah. huge. That like yeah,
1: that a million dollars, you know. So, Wow.
0: All right, All right, let's check out this next slide.
1: Within a year or two, there were already calls of, hey, let's make it bigger. And
4: they did. By 1862, the canal was almost twice as wide and twice as deep. People and goods and ideas flowed 24 hours a day in both directions. The impact that the Internet has had on our culture
2: and our society is very similar to the impact that the canal had sharing ideas, making things faster.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah I, I love that clip because mm-hmm. um, the, the comparison is that because as you and I were researching this and studying it, from day one, and this is one thing I want the audience to understand seriously, it did not take them two or three or four years to get this canal hopped up with business from day one, blam, everybody began using this thing. It was actually, it was partially built and they were partially using it on the one side before they actually finished it. But once they finished it, no kidding. We're talking hundreds, if not thousands of barges on this thing day and night, all going both directions, exchanging goods, exchanging services, and most important for our discussion tonight, exchanging information. Incidentally, I would like to add, since he is here, Dan Vogel is in the audience. Hey,
1: uh, Dan.
0: Yeah, hey, Dan. I I called Dan, and and I asked him about this Erie Canal. And then, Doug, you later confirmed this to me um I'll say it, and then you can give your quick spiel, but Dan told me, you know, yeah, you guys are thinking correctly about the serious and gigantic overarching, not only in distance, but in time and intensity of the influence of the interchange and exchange of ideas in Palmyra, Joseph Smith wasn't the country hick boy the church wants us to think about Emma was the country girl now yeah. that was quite a I go oh wow that's an interesting adjustment she didn't live in a town on the Erie Canal Joseph Smith yeah
2: yeah.
1: yeah. it was a huge huge uh, influence um, I, I have something from the uh, Palmyra, Palmyra Herald of June 9th 1822 to read Would you let me do that? Absolutely. love it. So so as as B.Y.P. was saying, the Erie Canal, it opened officially in 1825. But as soon as they got sections opened, people started using it. They didn't wait. Okay. Plus you had all the construction going on, all these people moving in, thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people working on this canal. So right from the beginning, 1817, that whole area was being inundated with people that were starting to work on this canal. Here's in 1822, Palmyra Herald. Our village has assumed an appearance which may be justly considered characteristic of the elevated rank to which it is destined. The canal crosses Main Street at the eastern end where there is a large and commodious basin. Now, a basin was kind of like a train station. It was like this wide place in the canal where they could pull the barges and boats over and dock them and let the people get off or put new stuff on, okay? So they Mm -hmm. could get out of the line of traffic, you know, do their stuff, then later they could get back in. So that's what a basin is. Okay. Uh, A large and commodious basin, and nearly opposite the center of the village, another basin is now completed. Plus, at the end of the village is a third basin, directly opposite to which there's an elegant dry dock. So, they were more than proud!
0: They're They're there.
1: That's our canal. We you
0: got guys got to come to our place. It, this is we where it's. It. <laughs>
1: we are it.
0: We are going to invent the pool table in the bar scene.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> How interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's, yes. that's fun stuff. Okay. Uh, one other. L- let's go to this next one. Let's
4: keep trucking.
0: We're we're yeah. doing
4: good on time. Truck away. The first women's rights convention was held in Seneca Falls, a canal town. And Joseph Smith started the Mormon religion in Palmyra along the shores of the canal.
0: When I saw that, I I realized, you know, uh, the world knows more about the environment of of early Mormonism than I do, than I did as an apologist. But that is a very important connection. What I want to do, uh, I was going to put that one slide in early. This okay. we, we'll just keep going. We we've got some fun stuff to share. With. Let, let's keep going on the on I, the impact of this, huh?
1: Yeah, I was going to say one thing about that is oh, is sure. because we're talking about all the women stuff, you mm-hmm. know. So what what the canal did socially to these people. Um, is you had literally overnight this flood of people coming in both directions down this canal of all different backgrounds, different religions, different socioeconomic statuses. You had people from overseas coming in. You had the the future king of France go down it. You had Charles Dickens go down it. Um, uh, Niagara Falls is just a few miles north of Buffalo, uh, oh, Buffalo's at the end of the of the canal. Curious. And it became, it was considered one of the wonders of the world. And it became the first true uh, major sightseeing th- uh, spot in the United States. It was like everybody wanted to see it. So you had this huge crush of people. Okay. Yeah. And it, it compressed all of these ideas and all of the, the, these thoughts together in a way that they would never have been normally. Okay. It's more like the the kind of thing that would happen in a big city. But it was happening in this little tiny town. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All along this canal, on all these little towns, this all was happening. So it was a huge social changer. Okay. Like they mentioned the women's suffrage and things like that. Yeah. Huge social changer.
3: The story of the Erie Canal is filled with superlatives, America's greatest civil engineering feat, the ditch that built America, and the world's longest and most successful canal. In 1825, the Erie opened America's Midwest to settlement and development of New York as the Empire State, first in population wealth and resources. Cargo and passengers crowded canal boat decks. Less obvious, but no less essential was the Erie Canal's role as the information highway of its day. It transported ideas of social change across the state, across the nation, and even the Atlantic Ocean. The canal's contributions, including helping shape America's vision as a nation where all men and women are created equal with equal rights, are why the canal today
0: yeah and and they go off into as i was looking through several of these different uh wonderful videos to get a lot of these clips that was of high interest i i was searching more for the the impact of the exchange of information we've still got some fantastic clips to show you on this because that's directly pertinent to this book of enoch uh this wipes out Hugh Nibley's apologetic that one, nobody was interested in it and two, it was not available. Those are the old days. That is just not true at all anymore and now we have discovered Doug brought it to my attention and we have both been pursuing this through videos and books and all Uh, we've discovered that this is a new day Uh, Mormonism has to update. Now Here's the thing, Doug. Did you ever hear very much about the Erie Canal and how it affected all these towns that Joseph Smith and the early Mormons were involved in in church? No, not a word. Not one word. Not one word. I didn't either. Never heard of it. I feel ripped off in a way because not only is this fantastically interesting American history, but it definitely influences the early Mormon stuff in fabulous significant ways. For instance, Joseph Smith's idea, and if I'm wrong, please correct me here, but I'm going to go out on a limb here slightly. Joseph Smith's theme of of Uh, Putting together a female relief society. And and yeah, I know this was later on in the church. I get that. But the theme, the idea of a woman's organization separate. uh, This is going to be important. Oh, no, I'm starting. Hold on. You okay? I'm going to put these.
4: Did that help?
0: Can you still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, th- this, this thing that women deserve, deserve their own, own group. Why? Yeah. Technically, you Joseph Smith not
1: Now, once I saw this and and saw all the social change, all the the um, initiatives for social changes that happened in that area, uh, a lot of it was uh, around women, you know, and that wasn't unique. I always thought that the Relief Society was like this totally unique thing that no, there had been nothing before that, you know, that women were just this second class and they didn't have any representation and they didn't have any organizations and, and it was like, wait a second. And Joseph about was this right first now
0: first one to put that into action. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what I,
1: I thought. thought. Now that might be my own ignorance of American history but I didn't, it you know, is. yeah, I, but too. I just didn't I always thought that you know, the relief release, release society was this unique thing that he did, and it wasn't really that unique. Because you see it right here. We just saw it. Yeah. yeah. Um so,
0: it's, reverbing it's reverbing like crazy. What the heck? They do? Do. they told it's me plug like in the microphone. microphone, or, microphone. or the <laughs> uh, looks like you're gonna be doing the talking, pal. Let's do another video I, real quick. We can hear you. I know, but it's reverbing, they're saying. I'm echoing, yeah. Thank you. We'll see. Let's do a video. Hopefully, it's not
5: reverbing. Okay. The Erie Canal was a great uh, social space, a great early social space in the, uh, in the United States because it, um, it's, it's like the Internet is today, I think. It's, it created not just, of course, a social network, but an economic infrastructure for people up and down the canal. Um, it, it, people shared ideas, they shared practices. It was a, it was a gathering space. Of course, it was a place that people came together but it was a it was a place that uh ideas traveled they traveled up and down the canal and of course ideas are never disembodied things they're always connected to either people and word of mouth or to media printing presses are being shipped up and down the canal uh every little hamlet as uh alexis de Tocqueville talks about every little hamlet in the united states has its own you know newspaper and this was true of course along the canal So different ideas spread through these media and the newspapers were being left on canal boats and you'd go you know the albany paper would go up one direction and someone in buffalo would pick it up and read
3: it some of those ideas revolved around social reforms ideas shared in conversations within the canal's floating community of immigrants from europe and americans seeking new opportunities abolitionism temperance new forms of religious expression, utopian communities, and especially women's rights all found fertile ground in the canal corridor.
1: Yeah. Do we still have a reverb issue?
0: Some are saying yes, some are saying no. I'm going to unplug this and see. Hopefully it won't reverb. It is a little bit not bad. Um, My my theme here that I wanted to echo is, boy, it's reverbing like crazy. God damn it! They promised this would fix it. I'm going to plug it back in. The fascinating thing here that really impressed me was this theme of, uh, now I've lost my train of thought because I'm worried about the ideas read.
1: sharing ideas. Huh? Sharing ideas. Sharing <laughs> ideas.
0: Yeah. The, the the influx of ideas and how it changed everyone's status. It changed everyone's education. So it is true. Joseph Smith had a third grade education. But it is not true formally. But it is not true that he stayed there. Right. I loved how that showed the printing presses on every single in every single little and they put a printing press on one of the barges and (laughs) up and down down, now printing news. Now you told me something about the printing of the Book of Mormon. Why don't you describe what
1: you Yeah, so yeah, so this allowed everybody to have this printing press basically in their own backyard. Right. Um, that, and yet, like you said, all these little towns had newspapers, the barges would take all the publications up and down, share them. Uh, somebody in, in Palmyra could be reading the New York newspaper in five days. So, uh, you know, it just, it was like they said, it was like their, the internet superhighway of their day. Um, But what I found interesting is that the printing press for the Book of Mormon, when Grandin uh, bought that printing press, it was the -the top-of-the-line printing press available in his day. And it came up the canal on a barge. It it weighed 1,500 pounds. No problem for a barge, you know. Smooth sailing, you know, a lot less, uh, uh, you know, uh, chance of it getting messed up on some horrible ruddy road pulled by oxen, right? So, yeah, so, boom, he he gets his printing press. So, that's one thing. Uh, So, in in this tiny little town, you have the absolute latest equipment, latest technology, right? But then, the other thing is, they printed 5,000 copies of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, all that printing had to be done by hand, basically, you know? uh, I mean, all the... The handling of the paper. You had to have 5,000 books worth of paper. You had to have sheepskin to cover the cover. You had to have thread to sew the bindings. You had to have all this stuff. And you had to have the the workers. And Grandin had nine people working six days a week, 12 hours a day on the Book of Mormon printing. So where did all that come from? Well, that all came because the Erie Canal made it possible.
0: It that that, that just is absolutely just so made that. fascinating. See all this all this little stuff that you've, you 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 kind of go well that doesn't quite jive or whatever you know. The Erie Canal makes it all come together in such an
1: interesting and, way. And, and, and by the way, the Erie Canal runs directly in back of Brandon's store. <laughs> So if you go oh, there today, really? you can see the Erie Canal goes right behind his store.
0: Oh, no kidding. Yeah. So he's out there barbecuing hamburgers. And when they stop by, they say, put that in the building and come and have a burger with me. <laughs> how interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's fantastically interesting. Let's go to this next clip and see what we find here. These are so much fun. I, I can't tell you how much fun I had researching this subject, man.
2: The canal rocked the foundations of social life, not just an upstate. You had an influx of strangers, but you reached out for new pillars to grab onto. It's no surprise that people reached out to religion or other reform movements or other type of communal activities to kind of reestablish that connection in society.
0: Did did that stupid dictionary thing pop up on the screen? Did you see that video?
1: No, I mean I. Yeah.
0: All right. Good. Good. So so again, the interesting impact of this silly canal, this wonderful canal. My impression that we're dealing with uh, relatively isolated people who really didn't know how to spell the word corn every now and then getting together with a neighbor from 30 miles away and finally catching up on what little bit of news they had access to. All of that church narrative is out the door. Yep. These guys are in a Megatropolis that's 368 miles long for that time. I say for that,
1: for that time. time, yeah. With and there way. were barges going up and down that sold books. Um, they had, they had a museum bars that had antiquities on it, you know. Um, every time, ta- every town had those uh places where the, the boats could pull over, people could get out, and they would go into the shops and stuff in that town. And people kept it loaded with the latest stuff, so it was uh, it was up to date. Um, I bet you could find just about anything along the canal if you wanted. Yeah. Uh, you could find it. That
0: is such a new view compared to what I've had in my head yeah. my whole life about this time and area. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's take another look at another one.
6: The women's rights movement really took off in upstate New York as part of a whole series in, of reform movements and religious revivals. It was so dramatic in upstate New York that people called it the burned over district or the burnt district. And it really happened in, in an explosive way after the Erie Canal came through with religious revivals and uh, con- conversions to churches think the Erie Canal is the greatest human artifact
5: to create new religious movements rapidly in the whole of history. You have the rise of uh, the Mormons. Uh, Joseph Smith prints the Book of Mormon, begins the, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in that time. Uh, the rise of spiritualism, the Fox Sisters over in Rochester and sort of buffeted by a number of uh, theological ideas. Uh, you've got the Adventists growing up uh, out of the Albany uh, tradition. So today, Seventh-day Adventism. Um, as uh, one of the continually growing uh, traditions in, in, within, within Christianity or religious traditions anywhere.
6: One of the results of the canal and the railroads, also, but was the ex- real interest in utopian communities, separate communities. And part of their thought was we want radical change, we want it now, and we want it nonviolently. And the only way to do that is just set up our own little community with the kinds of social and economic rules we want, we choose. And one of the most famous was, of course, Ann Lee's Shaker communities, which spread out through the country uh, northeast into Kentucky. Uh, the Oneida community was settled near Utica by John Humphrey Noyes. All of them, in some way, Made a different kind of relationship between women and men as a central component of their of their new ideas.
0: Uh, okay, seriously, Doug, listen. <laughs> uh, there's your Mormonism all in a nutshell in between eighteen twenty five and eighteen thirty that was going on. Everywhere,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, I mean, that's talking about everything Joseph Smith was about in Mormonism,
1: yeah. Different, different I thought it economics.
0: was an isolated event that was that mm-hmm. came by revelation from heaven only to the
1: Mormons, yeah. Uh, economics, you talked about that. Remember the Kirtland yeah. Banks Banking Society Relief Society, we talked about that. Utopian societies, you know, where they had the a law, a law of consecration. The whole nine yards.
0: Zion, the new Jerusalem.
1: And then in the burned over district, everybody was having visions, you know, all this religious excitement. I read one interesting article that said that um, one of the things that kind of contributed to this was that since they were kind of on the frontier, you know, this just explosion westward, it's like all of a sudden they were far removed from the potentates and and pilgrims that kind of had had ruled their churches back east, you know. And now they're in this kind of free area. And so they felt very, uh, you know, liberated in trying new ideas and, and new ways of thinking about things. So there was a little bit of uh, a loss of inhibition maybe uh, religiously. And in other ways, uh, evidently.
0: And our friend and fellow brother historian, Dan Vogel, puts it well. He says sure, Mormonism Mormonism fits well with other new religions at the time. Sincer- now, and, and call me naive. I, I plead guilty, but this this is new to me. This is not what I was taught in church we're talking a unique restoration that no one else had and a unique interpretation of scripture that no one else had and only joseph smith was interested in this lost scripture because of course that's a book of mormon theme they take crap out of the bible and and now joseph smith's going to bring it back through revelation of course and he he can't rebind the bible so he puts it in new books of scripture and that's where the book of Enoch comes in but now we find that the utopianism was not unique the rise of the religions was not unique to mormonism as a restoration movement and the interconnection the interargument between what the religions were hoping to achieve with not only scripture but with the society it's it's
1: everywhere (laughs) in joseph smith's environment doug he's (laughs) swimming in it he's swimming in it and and getting back to education another thing that i read that that kind of ties into that is that because there were so many publications being generated along that corridor it actually forced the population to become more literate because they had to function with all this printed material around them and people were talking about it and so if you wanted to talk about it you kind of had to read right so uh yeah. you had to read right <laughs> but, but yeah so the the uh the um literacy level increased in that area because of the canal so it was not this rural you know uh Barefoot kids, you know, going to school for a couple years, and then, you know, out on the farm with old Paul. You know, they were, they were learning, whether they were in and, school and, and or not. And not, not only,
0: and not only that. Now, uh, what dawns on me while you're you're talking too, is all of the uh, early Mormon uh, people that Joseph Smith was converting, you know, and bringing into the church and all. He was sending them out on missions. Uh, some of them were only a month, and and some of them went to New York, so they probably went through the Erie Canal, and then oh, yeah. and then uh, out out west. We know he sent some to the Lamanites, the missionaries to the Lamanites, and he identified the Indians as Lamanites, and so. But all of those missionaries were coming and going, also, and they were saturated with all of this culture. You remember the story of Oren Porter Rockwell that one winter when he finally, he was out of jail. He had been traveling for a month and a half hiding because they had a bounty on his head. And on Christmas Eve, or was it Christmas, he finally got there and knocked on the house, the Nauvoo house, the door of the Nauvoo house. And the guy that opened it didn't recognize him, so he thought he was a bum and he was getting ready to kick him out. And Joseph saw him and he goes... Rockwell, Porter Rockwell, come in. But the description was they were all sitting in the Mavu house as a group of people drinking the fine wine. They had their elegant silverware and their clothing. I That always struck me as where did uh, they didn't sew it all or did they? But they could certainly be buying it all and exchanging it all. Yeah. So Everything seems to fit that all of Joseph Smith's associates in the church and out, and there were hundreds of them, was having access to all this information and bringing it back and forth. How many councils did Joseph Smith set up? We've got the Joseph Smith papers now. Don't kid yourself. We know they were constantly counseling together in groups 50 20 75 here 200 there he was holding church conferences etc constant non-stop exchange of information this is a new much broader school, picture school for of the
1: prophets school of the prophets you know
0: a- and wasn't sydney yeah, very intelligent man and he brought in his congregation how about oliver Cowdery, the school teacher Oh, you told me something about Hiram Smith, too,
1: earlier tonight Yeah, we were preparing about Hiram. Everybody needs to to watch the last um, Mormonism Live because it was about Hiram and the educational uh, pursuits of the Smith family, so to speak. But, yeah, Hiram went to Dartmouth College for four years, um, had tons of exposure to all kinds of noted people uh, in and around uh you know the mormon movement uh and other similar types of things masonry etc um and was there to bring all that back to joseph smith i bring it all back into the smith home the smith home was not a place of ignorance it was not no, no. and
0: this home. all doesn't this also make sense that uh uh, with the with the huge rise of the and and this was nationwide in the size of the nation then with the murder of Dale Morgan, the great anti-masonic movement, hundreds oh, yeah. of newspapers were involved in that discussion yeah. interestingly, Colby Townsend wrote that new research on the Book of Enoch and he has discovered something remarkably interesting. I took Hugh Nibley at his word. What Nibley did with the discussion and with the debate, which Colby Townsend has found in dozens of newspapers in both uh, Britain, across the ocean, and right in New York and, and elsewhere, right in Joseph Smith's lap of the argument, of the discussion And of course, look, this is a book of scripture that was lost. There were some groups that did not accept that. Nope, the Bible only. But there were lots of other groups who said, but they're lost. We would like to see what they say. Then they had the word of Lawrence's discovery of the book of Enoch in the old world. Now that we know access to that through the channel, across the ocean, and through that canal was just a matter of just days. Yeah, They very well, they were debating and arguing about Lawrence's translation and the content of the Book of Enoch because they had all the German and French scholars translating as much as they could in the languages, and then it was happening, yeah. it was occurring here in America. The thing that's interesting is, Nibley showed the negative side of that debate, that discussion, I'll say. not necessarily, Well, it was a huge debate. There were people who said, definitely there were people who said, well, the Book of Enoch, it's not authentic. It's not real. Uh, there's nothing here to look at. Go home. Well, when you pick three or four different scholars, and Nibley did, And he was right. They properly proposed a negative aspect of this. And then Nibley had to, because of his apologetic base on approach, say, see, nobody was even interested in it in the United Mm -hmm. States. That's where he overstepped his bound. Because the positive side has been discovered by Townsend. And it was very large. It was widespread. Now with you egging me on (laughs) to study this Erie canal stuff with you, I now get it. It really was widespread, you guys. It was. I'm not just talking maybe in just New York or perhaps New York and, and one or two little small frontier towns that you couldn't get to for six months because they were so far away and hard to arrive at. I mean, within three to five days, it could have gotten all the way to Lake Erie and back and all of those towns in between. And that's where all the newspapers were published. And Colby Townsend has found dozens of discussions in all those newspapers on this interesting subject. There's with Joseph Smith sending out the missionaries. See, he wasn't the only one interested in this subject. Of course Every not. one of the early Mormon leaders were, of course. Yeah. Sure. Right? So we're talking thousands of people looking into this within Mormonism. Of course Joseph Smith knew about it. Now, now what, what this does, now I'm not using this as proof. What this is doing for us is it is in a very proper Bayesian scientific thought here this dramatically raises the probability that, yes, Joseph Smith could actually easily have had access to the Book of... You remember when they made such a big deal when they discovered the Book of Jasher. I I think that was in the
1: 1840s. And that was spread all over in the newspapers, too. Yeah, it was. And, you know, to me, what it did for me, it was like, okay, it's no longer... Um, could Joseph Smith have had access to m- this material? It's what kind of argument can you make that he didn't? Because he probably did. I mean, there's re- this means that really nothing was out of reach in his area. Nothing. You know, nothing really was out of reach. So the significant did Alibard- <laughs> commentary have been there? You bet. Book of Emo stuff, yeah. Stuff about Egyptian mummies and things like that, of course. Uh, Egyptomania, that was a big deal. You know, front page news. Uh, He would have been plugged into all that.
0: And he would have felt what was, quote, in the air because it was, quote, in the air everywhere.
1: That was come on, that's my rhyme. Come on, we love a rhyme. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I'll give you some shirt spear. Okay, now I I have one last clip, and okay. uh, we we were going to show this earlier, but let this clip is just remarkable to show these guys were not yeah. professional engineers. Yeah, their
1: yeah.
0: ingenuity is beautiful, though. Yeah. yeah. So,
1: so let me just say something about that. So absolutely. Yeah, it, it was it, not only were they not professional engineers, but They were left, they had nowhere else to go to solve their problems but themselves. And this just shows the ingenuity of those people. Go for it.
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's important. Including the genius of Joseph Smith with putting ideas together. These people put together implements to help them build that canal. Joseph Smith did that intellectually and spiritually with the hundreds of ideas together. Now we get it. It doesn't take away from Joseph Smith. It shows all of these ideas. His conglomeration of them was really powerful to who his environment, the people around him. No
2: wonder they flocked to him. Fascinating stuff digging a ditch with these requirements with hand labor using axes picks shovels and wheelbarrows through hundreds of miles of this primeval forest was the greatest challenge the builders of the erie canal would have to confront the only sources of power were human muscle plus horses and oxen so They devised ways to increase their efficiency without adding to their workload. These men who were primarily Irish immigrants were paid 80 cents a day plus room and board and a daily ration of whiskey. Not a yard of ditch could be dug until the workers had cut down the countless thousands of trees chopped them up in movable sizes, uprooted the stumps, and then carted away the staggering mess of logs, branches, and leaves. They had to clear mile after mile of woods and fell trees, many of which were six to seven feet in diameter. Regarding those giant trees, for instance, it was not very long before they had one man pulling them over someone devised a technique whereby a chain was tied high up in a tree with the other end leading to a wheel which was controlled by a woodsman with an endless screw gear. As the woodsman wound the gear with a crank, the tree was very slowly pulled over with irresistible force until the cable bent the tree so far it finally broke free of its stump and crashed to the ground. Stumps still on the earth remained a challenge until some unsung genius came up with a stump-pulling device, shown here, that was as effective as it was simple. It had two tremendous wheels, 16 feet in diameter, on the ends of a very sturdy axle, 30 feet long. Fixed at the center of the axle was a slightly smaller wheel about 14 feet in diameter with a broad rim which held a coiled rope. This strange looking machine was hauled into place so it straddled the stump and the big outer wheels were tied down to hold it steady. A chain wound around the axle was tied to the stump. A team of horses was hitched at the end of a rope wound around the rim of the middle wheel. And as the animals moved forward, pulling the rope behind them and turning the wheel, the tremendous pressure on the chain yanked the stump and its roots free of the earth. Seven men and two horses could pull 30 to 40 stumps in one day with this know.
0: Another- to me that was one of the most that this was the plot now now there's several videos who show a lot of the other types of equipment they use to they cleared lots of forests they had to get rid of a lot of rock, etc. So they really had to come up with interesting inventions. The reason those wheels were so big, I saw a couple of comments in the chat while this was playing, is because remember, some of those trees are six feet in diameter. We're talking major forest here not like the forest we have today no. we're talking seriously gigantic trees and they had to have seriously gigantic machines to pull those stuff but so this is kind of an interest in the in in Americana in American history and and uh we we uh could succeed with people who band together Find solutions to issues that they needed to, even only at 80 cents a day for brutal hard work, 14 hours a day. You can see why various groups got together re- religiously or socioeconomically and stuck together. And by innovating, doctrine that they were discovering new discoveries from Egypt, etc., this book of Enoch, by because everyone wanted to know what does it say? What is it about? So come on. Of course Joseph Smith's going to get a revelation and put it in his scripture. That truly is no longer ridiculous to me. As an apologist. I used to really cool the critics on that. Now that you've helped me understand this extra broad context, shoes on the other foot. It's just so fascinating to me, Doug. So I am so grateful you kept needling me and nagging me a bit and giving me a call saying, hey, I found something else. You might want to take a look at this, you know. This That's this has been fun. a boatload of fun for me.
1: I learned a lot, too. I mean, I it started with just a little memory, you know, and it's like, what was that? And you start researching and all of a sudden it's like, like when you have a thread coming out of a sweater and you start pulling and, <laughs> you know, it never stops.
0: <laughs> and then you told me earlier, too, uh, Brigham Young, before he was a Mormon, actually yeah. painted those boats.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So let's go back to just a little bit of Mormon history. Yeah. Uh, Brigham Young and his family moved in 1804 to New, uh, Western New York. And uh, Brigham Young... Uh, was 16 years old at the time and he left the family pretty soon after that. But he went to work on the canal when it started going. <laughs> and he was he was a, a painter. He painted the boats, the canal boats. Yeah. Um, later, um, that canal would be used by the Smiths when they left New York and went to Kirtland. Because guess what? You go over here, you get on Lake Erie, you go down a little bit, and, and there's there Kirtland. It is. It's right there near the lake. You know, that, that is so you know,
0: fantastic. I I, yeah. I left out one of the clips that I didn't get loaded up, darn it. Um, where one of the uh inventions that they had to come up with was waterproof cement,
1: yeah, waterproof cement, and yeah. they
0: were able to do that in that day.
1: I it's, it's yeah. just it's just so
0: fun, it's so yeah. incredible,
1: yeah. That it was a, a kind of a magical uh. Event, you know, and time in our history, in American history, where everything kind of coalesced, came together for that particular uh, feat to be accomplished. But then we also get a much clearer picture of all the other things that transpired that it triggered, you know, that it was Mm -hmm. a catalyst for all these religious movements. And uh, the canal was used by those, you know, the burned over district. They talked about that. Preachers would go up and down the canal preaching, you know. It gave this platform basically for these preachers to go out and preach their own version of the gospel. And it it gave a lot of people uh, ideas and maybe some freedom from the bigger organized religion to come up with new ideas for religion. So it was, uh, you know, an agent of change in in a whole lot of ways. And especially the church. Um, and um, we're not taught about it. We don't learn a thing about it. Uh,
0: I didn't know any of this two weeks ago, man. Yeah. So, so hope the hope you guys in the audience have appreciated the work that Doug put into this and, and I actually did quite a bit of work in this too. Um, we have just had a ball. We will be doing more shows together. Uh, we, we have other subjects that we really want to explore together. And so through time this year, we will definitely be getting back together and doing some more shows. So thank you for everybody showing up. We're going to call it good. And We love y'all, and remember, be good, do well, have fun, work hard, sleep good, make lots of friends, and don't forget Steve Hartman on the road, Friday nights. It's the best part of the news hour. I'm not kidding. I love that man's story. Look him up and see. We need more kindness in our world, and I think as we put it all together with all of us, we can do it. So... Thank you for showing up. We are going to take the night off from here out.